PulseCast is written and produced by students at SUNY New Pulse. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of SUNY New Pulse. Welcome to PulseCast, an original student-produced podcast from the campus of SUNY New Pulse. This is Season 2, covering everything from student stories to self-care and sports. We hope you enjoy listening as much as we've enjoyed creating. Subscribe for new episodes and topics every semester. Hi, this is The Wrong Kind of Nostalgia. This is the series where we dissect classic yet problematic teen films from the 1980s. This week, we will be focusing on the John Hughes film Sixteen Candles, which was released in 1984. We will explore the various problems within the film, ranging from the offensive stereotyping of its POC characters, the objectification and assault of women, and the overall attitude to how men are supposed to act through the movie's central male characters. Don't worry, we won't try to discourage you from ever watching these films again. We just want to educate our viewers on how different the gender and social norms were at the time. John Hughes is regarded as one of the most prominent 80s directors of his time. Some of his other successful films of the decade include The Breakfast Club. What we found out is that each one of us is a brain. And an athlete. And a basket case. A princess. And a criminal. Does that answer your question? Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. And Pretty in Pink. You told me you couldn't believe in somebody who didn't believe in you. I believed in you. Always believed in you. His films are known to feature many of the same cast members, which a public fondly referred to as the Brat Pack. This group of young actors and actresses in the 80s include Molly Ringwald, Emilio Estevez, Anthony Michael Hall, Rob Lowe, Andrew McCarthy, Demi Moore, Jun Nelson, and Ali Sheedy. The film we will be discussing today is Sixteen Candles. The story follows the character Sam Baker, played by Molly Ringwald, on her 16th birthday. At first, Sam is optimistic about her birthday until she discovers that her whole family has seemed to have forgotten it. We soon learn that this is due to her older sister Ginny's wedding being scheduled the next day. I can't believe this. They fucking forgot my birthday. Like many teens, Sam is excited to celebrate a significant birthday where she is finally supposed to feel a new sense of self and freedom. Instead, she feels as if she has become invisible and forgotten by the people she cares about on what is meant to be her special day. However, the one person who does remember her birthday is not who you would expect. The person in question is the most popular guy in school, Jake Ryan, played by 80s teen heartthrob Michael Shefflin. This kickstarts the typical trope of the popular guy in school falling for the less popular girl. Another character in the film who also notices Sam is the less popular farmer Ted, played by Anthony Michael Hall. 
Ted follows a cliche of the desperate nerd who craves the attention of Sam throughout the film, to no avail as her heart and attention seem to be taken by Jake. How's it going? How's what going? You know, things, life, whatnot. Life is not whatnot, and it's none of your business. In the end, Sam's birthday is not what she expects, but it turns out in the way any teen would dream. Everyone in the film seemingly gets their happy ending, but at what cost? The actions and attitudes of the characters to achieve what they want in the film reflect the problematic and concerning issues regarding the social context of the time. The fans of Sixteen Candles remember the film as a nostalgic, lighthearted comfort movie, yet tend to forget how controversial the plotline and its characters are. One of the most memorable characters of Sixteen Candles is Long Duck Dong. This character is remembered as one of the worst negative portrayals of Asians in cinema. Long Duck Dong is an exchange student played by actor Getty Watanabe. Watanabe's character is staying with Samantha's grandparents while he attends her high school. He is mainly used as the comedic relief of the film characterized by his broken English, accompanied by the sound of a banging gong each time he appears on screen. This detail of the sound of the gong is supposed to be used as a comedic effect to further enforce the offensive stereotypes surrounding Asians in film, as gongs are known to be used in many different Asian cultures. Another part of the film shows him stating how he is now turning Japanese, when he drops Sam off at the dance, despite the character being of Chinese descent. This is another way many films tend to group Asians into one regardless of their nationality. Films do not care to view their Asian-based characters as individuals. Instead, they view them as a whole, which they use to exploit for the purpose of entertainment and laughs. And as viewers of the film have realized while watching Sixteen Candles, the character Long Duck Dong has become more offensive than entertaining. The film overall goes under further scrutiny as being less than progressive in the correct portrayals of Asian Americans in film. The constant use of the same Asian stereotypes does little to help the Asian community. As Asian Americans in the film industry have been left to unfair stereotyping and underrepresentation since the 20th century and has continued on to this day. Another issue with Sixteen Candles that we will touch on is the negative treatment of women throughout the entirety of the film. Sixteen Candles is widely celebrated for being a romantic teen film, yet the women of the film are portrayed as negative objects that are only there for the men of the film to manipulate and take advantage of. The worst part? It is done for comedic effect. Take for instance Caroline, Jake's girlfriend at the beginning of the film. When she gets drunk to the point of passing out at Jake's house party, Jake does not do anything to aid her. He just abandons her, leaving her drunk and vulnerable at the party. Then there's the freshman Ted who we mentioned before, who makes a bet with his friends at the school dance that he'll score with Sam by the end of the night. Of course, he does not accomplish this as Sam runs away when he attempts to dance with her. But he makes do with Caroline, who is passed out drunk in a bedroom alone. This is a very common scenario of sexual assault allegations that are brought to light, where a girl is blackout drunk and is obviously incapable of consenting to any kind of sexual activity. 
Society. The character Caroline is pushed as the main victim of the film by its male characters as she is left in unsafe circumstances repeatedly throughout the film. Caroline gets drunk at a party and passes out in Jake's room, where the audience believes she will be safe as it is her boyfriend's bedroom. I can get a piece of ass anytime I want. Shit, I got Caroline in the bedroom right now, passed out cold. I could violate her ten different ways if I wanted to. Here we see Jake perceiving Caroline as not even a person, but something to be used and then disposed of, which is horrible and terrifying. We then see Jake Ryan, the seemingly perfect guy and boyfriend, hand over both the drunk and unconscious Caroline and his car with her passed out in it to Ted and say, Jake, I'm only a freshman. So she's so blitz, she won't know the difference. The implication being that since she's incapacitated, you can do whatever you want to her and she will believe you are me. The scene progresses. Caroline regains consciousness at one point and questions who Ted is, to which he replies that he is Jake. Ted is an accomplice to the date rape of Caroline by manipulating her to believe that he is someone else while she is incoherent. We then see them drive off into the night, with Caroline climbing into Ted's lap and saying, I love you, as Ted looks straight into the camera, grins, and says, This is getting good. The next scene with Caroline, she's still unconscious, yet now Ted and his friends are photographing him next to her, unresponsive body claiming, Ted, you are a legend. This scene is anxiety-inducing as we see yet another moment of a young unconscious woman being taken advantage of by a group of young men who have no remorse whatsoever. The next morning, Caroline is now sober and concludes that she and Ted had sex the previous night. Ted asks Caroline if she enjoyed herself, and she replies, you know, I have this weird feeling I did. Caroline was not coherent enough to consent to anything that Ted subjected her to, so this puts her in a dangerous situation as her response further pushes how she has clearly no memory of the night before. Caroline is treated as an object, not a person, whose sole purpose is to fulfill the male fantasy and cater towards their sexual needs. This leads into the final issue, which is the classic trope of boys will be boys. This is a common excuse that many people will give to rationalize inappropriate behavior from men and boys. When the guys in this movie treat the female characters as sexual objects, their behavior is not reprimanded at all, as they are never held responsible for their actions. In fact, it is rewarded and often disregarded altogether. Take geeky freshman Ted, for instance. Throughout just about the entire film, Ted flirts with Sam, who repeatedly turns him down. And it does not stop when he finally apologizes to her. He keeps trying to score a girl, and it's not until the end that he finally gets with a drunken Caroline, something that is later celebrated by him and his friends. He drives her home and Jake's dad's car, and his friends are so proud of him that they take a picture of the moment. Ted's desperate nature isn't something that's punished at all. Instead, it is a rape subplot that's played on for comedic effect. Caroline is quite literally passed from one boy to the other, but this is not something most people think about when they reminisce about the movie. This depicts the cliche of the nerd, who is doomed to be a virgin until the day they die, and they're so desperate to get a girl that they will do whatever it takes to score. So of course when he finally does, it's a massive victory for the geeks, regardless of the way he did it. 
Overall, the narrative that is being spread through these actions is that boys are owed girls and that her consent is irrelevant. It also spreads the narrative that even the so-called good guy can participate in these actions and still be the dream boy by the end of the film. So critics have acknowledged back then, and continue to stress years later, that these portrayals were in fact messed up. But unfortunately, it hasn't ended here. These kinds of tropes still exist in popular media today, more than three decades after Sixteen Candles premiered in theaters. What we've discussed during this podcast is an ongoing problem that we still deal with today, as some men still view women as nothing more than some sort of sexual conquest that must be won. We hope that this episode gave you a little food for thought the next time you choose to rewatch Sixteen Candles on a rainy day inside. This is not to prevent you from ever watching these films again, but to give you something to think about so that you are not blinded by the nostalgia. Thank you for turning into the wrong kind of nostalgia. This episode of Paltzcast was brought to you by SUNY New Paltz DMJ 393 podcasting class. Special thanks to Ed and Gina Carroll for their generous support. We hope you enjoyed listening as much as we've enjoyed creating. Don't forget to subscribe for new episodes every semester.